Live and local, this is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Great. Good afternoon to you and yours. After some internet issues yesterday, we are back and we are better than ever. It's great to be with you on this middle of the week, Wednesday, April 26th, the year 2023. Enjoy this day because I think the rains they are are coming tomorrow. Busy, busy show planned for you and yours today. Chock filled with guests. We'll talk LSU football, college football, college baseball, pro football, the NFL draft, and all other points in between. My main man, James Mesh, in the producer's chair in the EVCO Development Studios. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. It's on the campus of Delta Media where you'll find KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. Head west on I-10, you'll find KLCJ, 1041 Lake Charles. Streaming everywhere on this planet, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, you can turn your television set on because we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. Well, um, LSU baseball, for the second week in a row, loses a midweek game to an in-state opponent. Last week, it was the Raging Cajuns. This week, a 6-5 to five loss to Nichols. Um, congratulations to the Colonels. Big-time win. With the loss, LSU falls to 32-8 and eight on the season. No Trey Morgan, no Tommy White, no Brady Neal. Each miss with injuries, but it is what it is, um, and that's just the way it goes. So congratulations. Nichols kept LSU scoreless for five innings. The, the Colonel's defense was the biggest story of the game early on. Um, Nichols center fielder Wes Toops made two tremendous grabs at the wall, robbing Dylan Cruz and Travis Travinsky from hits. Um, and that would be a recurring theme for Nichols' defense. Garrett Felix's leaping kicks to steal an RBI or two from Ethan Fry to shortstop Parker Cadu running down a fly ball in shallow left field. The Nichols defense was sensational, sensational. Um, And they held on. They made some great, great plays at the end and a double play, as a matter of fact. So tip your cap to Nichols. Uh, LSU made some blunders down the stretch, and that's not a good thing to do. So 32-8, and we'll talk with Aaron Fitt at the top of our number two at 3 o'clock. On uh, he, he, of course, with D1 Baseball, where do the Tigers stand now? Uh, they'll look to clean some things up when they host Alabama this weekend, starting with a 6 p.m. 
contest. The NBA playoffs, hot and heavy. Um, last night with three games, two game, two series closed out. One surprisingly did not. I thought all three would be ending with the home teams winning, but not the case. And it started in game one with the Atlanta Hawks trailing by 13 points with six minutes to go. And the Boston Celtics inexplicably fell apart. Atlanta beats the Celtics 119 to 117. Series heads back to Atlanta with Boston up three games, 2-2. The story of the night, Trey Young, 38 points and 13 assists. You know, I'm no genius, but down the stretch, why don't you figure out a way defensively to double-team Trey Young and get the ball out of his hands and let somebody else shoot it to beat you? Everything he threw up was going in, and they never doubled. They never got the ball out of his hands. And in particular, on the last play, um, the last possession for Atlanta, trailing by one with 7.6 seconds to go uh, or 7.8 seconds to go, they get the ball to Trey Young, and he's walking it up the court. You know he's going to shoot it. They don't double team. They don't do anything. It just makes no sense to me. Very, very poor, poor coaching and very poor defensive execution. But kudos to the to the Hawks for winning it 119 to 117. Um, no surprise with the Denver Nuggets and a 112-109 win over the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, to win that series in five games. It was, um, well, Anthony Edwards is a player. He had 29 points, but the Nuggets just too much, too much. Jamal Murray, another former Kentucky Wildcat with 35. Nikola Jokic with 28 points, 17 rebounds, and 12 assists. I mean, it's almost like you expect that every game from the guy. You really do. And then you had the Suns against the Clippers. No, um... Kawhi Leonard, no Paul George for the Clippers. They're starting people like Marcus Morris Sr., Norman, Norman Powell, Russell Westbrook, Nicholas Batum is off the bench, Terrence Mann's off the punch, Mason Plumley's off the bench. How in the heck are they going to have any shot against the Phoenix Suns? Well, they really, really didn't, um, despite a 40-29 to 29 advantage in the second quarter to give them a nine-point lead at the half, and then the Phoenix Suns came out and put up 50 in the third quarter. 50! Outscoring the Clippers 50-24. to 24. The game was basically over. Clippers kind of, you know, got back in a little bit at the end, but no. 50 points in the third quarter. Kevin Durant with 31. DeAndre Ayton with 21. But the star of the show... Another Kentucky Wildcat, Devin Booker, with 47 points, 8 rebounds, and 10 assists. 47 and 10 assists. Quite a night for one Devin Booker as the Suns survive and advance. We've got four games on tap tonight. In Cleveland, the Knicks lead the Cavaliers three games to one. In Memphis... The Lakers lead the Grizzlies three games to one. In Milwaukee, the Heat 
Another team on the road tonight. Lead the Milwaukee Bucks three games to one. Can the road teams continue and close these games out? We shall see. The marquee matchup, 9 o'clock tip, series tied at two apiece. The Warriors from Golden State taking on the Sacramento Kings in Sacktown. Four games on tap. NFL draft is tomorrow. The New York Jets introduced Aaron Rodgers today. He didn't have that goofy hair. He was clean cut. He's ready to go to work. He says, I'm ready to report. I'm ready. I'll be in the facility tomorrow. He's ready to work and meet, introduce himself and get acclimated with all of his, all the staff, all of his new teammates. Uh, so there is an excitement in Gotham. No question. Joe Willie in reverence to, uh, excuse me, um, Aaron Rodgers in reverence to Joe Willie Namath, who won Super Bowl three. The Jets haven't come close since then. Um, Joe Willie wore number 12. Not going to bring it out of retirement. Aaron said, nope, keep it there. I'm going back to my old college jersey number, high school jersey number, number eight. So all things look and sound great for the New York football Jets. All right, on the guest list today, we'll come back after this first time out. Matthew Bruni will join us. Uh, we'll talk LSU spring football. Mike Huguenin from on, well, Mike Michael Huguenin will join us after that. Our longtime college football, college basketball analyst. We'll talk about some of the spring games. Um, LSU's got the best quarterback room by far, and they've got the best quarterback in the league. And I think that's what sets, sets LSU apart from other teams in the SEC. We'll start off hour number two talking baseball, college baseball with Aaron Fitt. And as we are one day away from the NFL draft, um, we will catch up with Bob Rose of the Saints News Network, a Wednesday edition of the Black and Gold Report. It's all coming your way after this first timeout. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you haven't seen the defending World Series champs in person yet, no worries because the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Oakland A's on Saturday, May 20th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros Weekend Getaways, powered by Butcher AC, Lay Meridian Houston Downtown, and the Game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. We're back 60 minutes after the hour. Let's get this ball rolling as we welcome in um, our good friend Matthew Rooney. Um, who does a great job covering the Tigers. How you been, man? What's happening? Hey, Jordy, I'm doing great. Uh, just staying busy. Uh, LSU just got um, another commitment so uh, for the 2024 class and trade as green. So we've been staying busy, staying on top of everything. Trade as green. Is he going to play football? Is he going to play basketball? Is he going to play both? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I know we, they got him from the football side, that's for sure. Uh, we'll have to see how the basketball ends up going, but 6'6", six, six, the number three tight end in the country on the uh, industry rankings. So that's going to be uh, interesting to see, but he's very, very um, talented, as we know. And another in-state get. He comes from East Feliciana High School. Okay, let's talk about your thoughts on the spring game. It appears to me that um, Jaden Daniels um, no longer feels like a newcomer. He's got his he's he's in sync with his coordinator. He's got a veteran offensive line to support him. He's got virtually all of his top targets back. He's bigger. He's stronger. I don't think there's any question he's the best quarterback going into the season. What did you see? What I mean, and as and his numbers in the spring game were off the charts. Your impressions of Jaden Daniels now? Yeah, he's definitely better. Um, trying to figure out, you know, the top of the SEC. I think he's up there. Uh, a lot of people like KJ Jefferson. Uh, some people like Joe Milton out of Tennessee. I mean, I'm putting Jaden Daniels up there with 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 all of them, if not better. So um, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, him going into his second year, there's just a lot less indecisiveness, which we talked about before. Um, a lot of those, you know, struggles he had early in the year last year were because of being indecisive, because of it being a new system, new coaching staff, all that stuff. So um, he is someone that relies a lot on being comfortable and making throws on time and on target. And I think that we saw that in the spring game. That's exactly where he's at right now is he knows what he has. He knows the protections. He knows um, the defense that he's facing, obviously, as well. And 10 of 11 um, and the touchdown coming from that Kyron Lacey one-handed grab, that was, that was pretty nice as well. Pretty sweet. What made him so effective a year ago was his impromptuness. Um, maybe yeah. sometimes he – he um, tucked it and ran uh, instead of throwing the ball downfield. But, man, his number spoke for itself. I certainly hope there's a balance between him throwing it and his ability to to do the improv and take off for it because that, that's what I think makes him so, so hard to game plan, so hard to defend. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I definitely think he has to still be a threat running the ball, um, whether it's designed or not, which I still think they're going to do plenty of designed quarterback runs as well, or at least quarterback options, I should say. But his legs are the difference between him and, you know, a, a guy like, um, like I mean, Garrett Nussmeyer, really. It's, that's yeah. the difference in that. He gives you a different element in that another way you have to game plan. And as much as, you know, I've, I enjoy watching Garrett Nussmeyer throw the ball and his accuracy down the field, it feels a lot easier to – help Jaden Daniels perfect his craft as a passer because he is such a uh, dominant and you know dynamic runner. So if you can get the best of both worlds, I think that's what you get. That's what you get with Jaden Daniels. Matthew Bruni, kind enough to join us. Uh, you look at LSU's football schedule coming up, they, a very important game to start things off against Florida State. There's a lot of people that, that are out there, a lot of pundits that are saying, you know what Brian Kelly ought to do? He ought to just say, look, um, we're going to give Garrett Nussmeyer a start in week two against Grambling State. Do you think there's any remote possibility that Brian Kelly would do something like that? I don't think so. Um, no, I haven't I haven't seen that, but I don't, I don't think that would be the case. I think Jan Daniels has pretty much solidified himself as the number one quarterback. Um, now, I say that 
I do think if there are stretches of struggle for him, like we saw against Arkansas and Auburn, then there will be a quicker trigger to go to Garrett Nussmeyer. But that's not to start games. I think to start games, okay. Jaden Daniels has the job until he loses it. And I think that that's pretty much the way that the coaching staff and the way the team is really bought into that. So Garrett Nussmeyer will get his opportunities this year. Um, I don't see it start coming in a game to start against Grambling. His time is coming, but it's it's going to be next year. I don't think Jaden Daniels has fallen off a cliff by any stretch of the imagination. But for LSU, in my opinion, Matthew, uh, from BengalTigerOn3.com, for LSU to get where they need to go, They've got to get a better running game. They finished eighth in the SEC in rushing yards per game, 183.7, but only 120 of those yards came from its running backs. They've got to improve their running game. I know they've got a good offensive line. Who's going to be the running back this year? Is it is it going to be uh, Josh Williams? Or is Armani Goodwin going to live up to his four stars or is John Emery ever going to live up to his five-star status? What, what is your feeling about what Frank Wilson has to work with? Yeah, it's, it's a very, very complicated room. That's the word I would use right now. Cause in the spring we saw Noah Kane and Trey Holly. Um, obviously Trey Holly comes in with after a spectacular high school career, but there are questions about, you know, his size and his overall um, dynamic ability at the running back spot. Noah Kane is kind of just that solid guy, was a goal line back for LSU last year. If I had to put money on the starting back, I'd pretty comfortably put on Josh Williams right now, um, starting week one against Florida State. So Josh Williams probably will will be the running back number one again, which isn't a bad thing as we've seen, but he's not you know, he's not an all conference running back, pretty comfortable. Um Confidently. Um, and then I'm, I'm really interested to see a freshman Caleb Jackson comes on. I think he has the combination of speed and strength and athleticism that can make him a guy with high potential in the coming years. So, yeah, Caleb Jackson is one I'm interested to watch. He's not on campus yet, but like you said, Armani Goodwin, John Emery, um, missing spring for different reasons. John Emery with academics, Armani, uh, Armani Goodwin with the injuries. Uh, it's just hard to rely on those guys, I think, going into the fall. Yeah, Caleb Jackson busy now r- running and winning 100-meter races across the board. He's uh, he's a big dude that can pick him up and put him down for, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, of the newcomers, um, what what did you see? Who, who impressed you the most from guys who were either transfers or early enrollees as freshmen? I'll go with, um, as far as freshmen go, um, JV and Toviano, the freshman out of, uh, Den- uh, out of Dallas, uh, defensive back, played some safety, played some nickel. Uh, he's just going to be a really, really, really good player for LSU for a long time. I hope they don't have to use him a ton this year because that means that their depth and uh, at safety and nickel is, is not where it needs to be. Um, I think he'll he'll play this year, but I don't want him to have to start games. Um, but I think he's a very good player. Uh, Kyle Parker, also freshman receiver. I thought he had a good spring as well. Uh, Jackson McGowan, a tight end. I, I liked him. He was the only scholarship tight end in that spring game. Um, as far as transfers go, I liked what I thought the Jack position, which is the outside linebacker spot where, where B.J. Ojolari played. Uh, Braden Swenson out of Oregon. Ovia Gofu out of Texas. 
two guys who I had questions about coming in. I think they kind of delivered um, in the spring and in the spring game specifically. So I feel better about that spot. Uh, and that's, I mean, the, the corners, all of the different corners that have come in, J.K. Johnson, Zaya Alexander, Denver Harris, I thought they were fine. Um, I, I didn't see anything um, huge to take away either way. But, yeah, them and then Omar Spates at linebacker, I think is going to be really good. Okay. Do you, are you feeling better about the uh, the wide receiver group? And they got a couple of couple of new guys coming up um, that that are going to be here in the summertime as well as freshmen. But um, we know about Malik Neighbors. How else do you feel about that wide receiver core? Yeah, seeing Kyron Lacey have the spring game that he had, I think really um, helped my confidence. Because, like you said, we know about Malik Neighbors. Um, even to an extent, we know about Brian Thomas Jr. Even though I want to see him on a higher usage uh, going, going into this year. So we'll see. We, when you have those two, I was looking at who the third receiver is going to be, and we've heard a lot about Kyron Lacey, but I want to see Aaron Anderson, the transfer from Alabama. I want to see Chris Hilton. Right. You know, I want to see the freshman uh, Jalen Brown and Kyle Parker. But Kyron Lacey to step up and play the way that he did in the spring game, I think says a lot about his dedication and how much he's improved, really, over the offseason. So, I feel good about that one, two, three right there. Neighbors, Thomas Lacey, and then you see whatever else you can get out of Anderson and the Hilton or the freshman. Does this have the look of a of a um, a playoff type of a team? I think it does. I, I do. Um, the getting Mason Smith back, you have the combination of Mason Smith, Makai Wingo at defense tackle, and then the defensive tackle depth is a lot better than it was last year. I, that's the biggest thing for me is their defensive line is going to be able to compete with everybody in the SEC and give most teams fits. And with that being the case, obviously we'll have to see how they use Harold Perkins. We'll have to see how a guy like Denver Harris looks in the secondary because I don't want to take for granted how good the secondary was last year and how hard that is to replicate. Um, so there are plenty of questions, but I, I think if you start up front on both sides of the ball, I feel – better going into this year with all the returners with all the guys coming back off injuries so if they can figure out the center spot on offense i mean you look at the other four starters there there's some some really really talented guys so you add that with Jaden daniels coming back and um you know obviously health is always one of the biggest factors for everybody on the team and for depth but when you just look at the team on paper i think there's a real case for them being a top you know top four or five team going into the year he is Matthew Bruni, covers LSU for at Bengal Tiger on three and does a tremendous job. Um, Big Joe, I think everybody agrees that Big Joe Ogilaro will be the first Tiger off the board. Who's going to be the second one in the NFL draft, in your opinion? Yeah, I was looking at it. I'll probably go Anthony Bradford. Um, some different people have him going either um, early third round, late third round, but most that most people have them him going in the third round at some point, and so I think that's pretty safe. Jaquelin Roy is someone who people have very different opinions on, so I, maybe he sneaks up there in the early third. But um, yeah, I'll go Anthony Bradford, which is which is funny because a lot of people don't really think of Anthony Bradford anymore. But he was very good for LSU last year. Matthew, can't thank you enough. Um, Enjoy the draft. Enjoy the NBA playoffs. Hope you get some time off a little bit, but um, the beat goes on. So in closing, a good, good day today for um, the recruiting rankings is Trey Dez Green 
six six uh, number three ranked tight end in all of high school football um, commits to LSU. So um, the beat goes on. They keep getting the best players in the state, and that's always been, I think, the mantra that holds true when you start talking about championship winning teams. You lock down the best in the state, man. Thanks for the input. Thanks for the info. And uh, it's always great talking to you, man. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having me on, man, anytime. All right, Matthew Bruni, kind enough to join with us. We'll get the national perspective of things uh, with Mike Hugan, and including how the, um, the SEC is looking to crack down on storming the field. Wait till you hear what... Uh, What's, what's happening with this? Very, very significant as they're having meaningful talks about it. That's coming your way next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And we are so thankful for our partners each and every day. ShopRite Tobacco Plus discount outlets. If you can't shop right at ShopRite, you just... You just can't shop right at all. By Ducks, cleaning America's air from the inside out. By Eon, the premier touchless robotic laser body contouring device that helps you lose those unwanted inches, along with permanent fat reduction. Eon, three locations, Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville. By the Louisiana Lottery, you can't win until you start playing. D.C.'s little capital, Exxon. Uh, I-10 at the Henderson-Cecilia exit. Everything under the sun inside the store, including the best true soul food deli anywhere with the best cheeseburger you've ever eaten. And by Cajun Chef. Oh, it's crawfish season. Do yourself a flavor. Turn up the taste with Cajun Chef hot sauce. Uh Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Anybody? It's time for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin of On3.com. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is Hump Day with Huguenin on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I will change that intro for you there, Michael, but how are you, sir? Well, um, interesting time. We got the basketball portal. Um, a, a lot of comings and goings. The football portal has reopened, and the NFL draft tomorrow. So um, th- there's a lot of stuff going on right now if you're a college sports fan. Because, yes, the NFL draft is about the NFL, but still, I, I think there's a sense of allegiance um, with fans among college players, and you want to see your college get a lot of guys drafted, even if you don't follow the NFL. I'm with you. Um, just depending upon who you listen to and who you believe. I don't know if it's ever happened before where the first two picks in the draft might come from the same school, but there's a lot of talk of Bryce Young going number one to Carolina and Will Anderson going number two to Houston. I don't know if that's ever happened before. That's an interesting question. I don't think it has, but I, I don't think Will Anderson's going second. I think that Houston's going to take a quarterback, or somebody will trade up to take a quarterback. Okay. Um, quarterbacks obviously are of tremendous importance in the NFL, which makes them overvalued in the draft. I think people tend to overlook quarterback concerns more than in any other position, and I, I just think that, that in some form or fashion, Young's going one and Stroud's going two. 
Mike, the SEC and Commissioner Greg Sankey said yesterday that the conference is having, quote, meaningful discussions about adjusting its longstanding policy on field storming to address safety issues and that a wide range of options are being considered by a working group. How in the heck do you stop fans, students from storming the field if they want to do it? How do you stop it? Yeah, I think that there are some schools in the SEC um, that make, a, make it a prime priority not to allow students to rush the court or rush the field. You know, I, I, went, I went to Florida. I, I don't think Florida's ever had a field rush. Um, they put a ton of security officers and policemen around, around the field and around the court at the end of a game. Uh, and there certainly were a lot of games, especially during the Spurrier and Meyer eras, where fans would have want, wanted to rush the field, basketball games during the Donovan era, but it never happened. So um, I think the safety issue is legit. I think yep. you have – in this social media age, more and more people want to show off, and I think there are numerous instances of, of fans rushing the field, getting, you know, getting video of them going up to an opposing player and all that kind of stuff. And I think sooner rather than later that there's going to be a really bad incident. Um, and, and I think you've you got to give the SEC credit. Uh, a lot of other leagues take it seriously as well with the fines and stuff like that. Uh, I think if I, I think if the SEC office says there will be no more field rushes, every school in the league magically will come up with a plan to make sure there are no field rushes. It's, it, I don't think it's as difficult as a lot of schools make it out to be. Yeah, the commission said they could double the fines, triple the fines, quadruple the fines, or they could actually mull the idea that the team that stormed the field would surrender home field advantage the next time they face that opponent. So you play Alabama at home, LSU. The next year you play Alabama in Tuscaloosa. If you storm the field at home, then you play the third time in Tuscaloosa as well. Sounds like the LSU-Florida series because of the hurricanes, where it seemed like LSU played in Gainesville for like a decade, it seemed like. Yeah, and that kind of stuff, when you start impacting a school's bottom line, that that's when you get people's attention. And I think the field storming or court storming is like 25000 or 50000 That's nothing. But you're right. If you put a legitimate financial penalty uh, along with the field rush, yes, I think you, you could stop it. And I've always been independent, and I know maybe you have a different one because you actually played. But if I'm a team, if I'm a football player, I want to celebrate with teams my teammates and my coaches. I don't want some random dude out of the stands coming up yeah. and slapping five with me. Do that right. after the right. game. I think on the field it should be players uh, celebrating with other players and other coaches and other staffers. The greatest scene I ever saw was when the Boston Celtics won an NBA championship and the fans stormed the garden court and Larry Bird was trying to get to the locker room and he just – at 6'9", or whatever, he just bulled like a bulldozer, just ran through people and knocked them to the side and got into the locker room. So nobody, I don't think anybody wants it. I think it's more fun for the fans just to kind of be on the field, and it's become a show. Uh, I certainly hope they can nix that and get rid of that. You mentioned that the portal was in full swing. Um, what's crazier, the portal in college football or the portal for college basketball? 
Oh, I think it's basketball. There's, uh, I, I think the importance of the portal in college basketball is greater than it is in football as well because, you know, a college football or any football team has 22 starters. Um, and a basketball team obviously has five. If you bring in two starters, that's 40% of your starting yeah. lineup. So yeah. I think the basketball portal, um, obviously college basketball is not as – all pervasive is college football among college sports fans, but I think a transfer portal performance in college basketball, if your coach knows what he's doing in the portal, you can turn a team around in one off season. I think that's a lot more difficult in college football. Conceivably, you can, I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about if you don't want to in college basketball. High school recruiting. You can go out and bring in seven or eight guys from the portal every single season. I don't think that's yeah. a good long-term plan, but I think college basketball portal is, is wild and woolly, and there's, there's a handful of coaches who have totally remade their teams uh, this offseason. Mike Huguenin with us. Um, the portal still continues to flourish. Notre Dame quarterback Tyler Buckner um, yesterday said that he has entered the NCAA transfer portal to explore my options and decide what is best for my future. And apparently Alabama jumped on board looking to try and get him. What does that tell you about what Nick Saban saw at the Alabama a game? And with that in mind, I still believe and even stronger now that LSU has the best quarterback going into this college football season in the sec. Yeah, I I think that's true. And uh... Tyler Buckner is not very good. Um, now, he does have a relationship with Tommy Reese, obviously. Reese recruited right. him out of the San Diego era, area to go to Notre Dame. But the idea that Tyler Buckner is going to come in and be some kind of panacea at quarterback for Alabama is ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. His upside is not the upside. He, he doesn't have the upside of Ty Simpson or Jalen Milrow. Those two guys are more talented than Tyler Buckner. Buckner presumably would understand the offense a little bit better, maybe, because he has been in it his whole college career. But the idea that if, 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 if Alabama thinks Tyler Buckner is the only thing between them and the SEC title, well, they ain't winning the SEC title with Tyler Buckner. He is just not that good. It says, says an awful lot. Um, in watching some spring games, any any revelations come to mind for you? No, but it's it, it's amazing that oh my god, Alabama's quarterback situation. No duh. Yeah. Bryce Young's gonna be the first pick in the draft. They're not having a quarterback as good as him. Same thing at Ohio right. State. Same thing at Kentucky. Same thing at Florida. When you have a first yeah. round pick, your quarterback situation automatically is going to fall back. It's going to be like USC next year. Oh, my God, Caleb Williams is gone. USC doesn't have a quarterback as good as Caleb Williams. You already know that's going to be the case. So I I don't get the people throwing up their hands and going, oh, my God, I can't believe the Alabama quarterback situation. If you were thinking about it at all, you knew going in, even with the quarterbacks who entered the portal in December and January, Alabama was not going to have a quarterback as good as Bryce Young. Ohio yeah. State is not going to have a quarterback as good as C.J. Stroud. The key is making sure the, the deficiency doesn't cost your team a game or two. 
Um, but the idea, it, it's, and I guess the other biggest takeaway is that Colorado had its spring game, and then Monday, 25 Colorado players went into the portal, and it's evidently Deion Sanders telling them, we're cutting you, move on, um, which has a lot of bravado behind it. Um, he is going to end up with, I think it's upward of 40 guys leaving. Um, actually, maybe it's more like 50 guys leaving. Um, you know, I get the fact that Colorado was bad. They were horrible last year. They were 1-11. But I'll be honest, have they brought in some high-caliber guys out of the portal? Yes, they have. But the idea that he's totally remaking his roster, you know, he's, he's brought in, I think, nine guys from Jackson State. No offense. Right. No um, offense. Jackson State would not win a game in an no. FBS conference. Colorado no. would beat – last year's Colorado would beat Jackson State. I, I yeah. don't – you know, more power to Dion because um, he obviously has a tremendous uh, – confidence that he can bring in a bunch of new guys that will be better um let's see it you know the pac-12 is no great shakes but i think if colorado wins more than three games it will be a major surprise and you know you know jackson state played in the heritage bowl they lost to north carolina a&t i don't think anybody's going out there going oh my god north carolina a&t we got to go get their players so i i don't get the love for right. jackson state so um we'll we'll see what Dion can do I haven't heard of one player since the spring game from LSU entering into the portal. So um, whenever Brian Kelly's selling, uh, it, it appears that LSU players are buying. Um, and is this a two-horse race in the West? Is it going back, back yeah, to the Yeah, I think it's Alabama-LSU because, you know, we talked yeah. about Auburn last week. That's not a good roster. And, you know, oh, my God, the Auburn quarterback situation isn't very good. No, it wasn't very good last year either. And they That's didn't bring anybody right. in. So, of course, That's it's right. not very good. Uh, Mississippi State is a gigantic mystery, like we talked about last week. I don't know if there's a bigger mystery team in the SEC because what's mm-hmm. their offense going to look like? Texas A&M bringing in Petrino as the offensive coordinator. Boy, there's a ton of pressure um, on the young guy at, at A&M. Yep. And Howard Fisher and Petrino going to coexist. Ole Miss, I just don't think they're good enough defensively. Um, and Arkansas, I, I like K.J. Jefferson. Um, I think the, the offensive coordinator switch will be interesting to see how that works. Um, and I'm not uh, a big fan of Arkansas's receivers as a whole. I don't think they're very good. So, to me, on paper, it's Auburn – I'm sorry, it's LSU and Alabama, and then who knows who's going to finish third and who knows who's going to finish seventh. I think Auburn's going to finish seventh, but – uh, and I don't think Ole Miss is going to be the seventh-place team, but that looks like a two-team race in the SEC West and a one-team race in the SEC East. Yeah. Who's, who's, is anyone, I mean, you know, no, no more Stetson Bennett, but there's no Will Levis at Kentucky. There's no Anthony Richardson at Florida. There's all kind of problems everywhere in the East. Is South Carolina the, the second best team no, I, in the I, East? I still think it's going to. I think Tennessee is going to be the second best team. Okay. I think that offense. I think Heupel deserves credit for an offense that legitimately is difficult to stop, even if you play it annually. Um, the quarterback situation took a step back. Um, I know they they have high hopes for Joe Milton finally, but Joe Milton lost his starting job at Michigan. 
He was given the starting job when Heupel got there and lost it to Hendon Hooker. Uh, the, the I'm a leave a kid. I think has great potential. Uh, I think ten, I think Tennessee is the second best team in that division. I know South Carolina beat them last year. Um, South Carolina did play really good football at the end of the year, but I'm still not a huge believer in Spencer Rattler. As I've said on your show before, he played in the most quarterback-friendly offense in college football when he played at Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley, and he spit the bit. So um, South Carolina is another team that has a new offensive coordinator, so that's going to be four offensive coordinators in five years for, or sorry, three offensive coordinators in four years for Spencer Rattler. I just think he's way too inconsistent. He looked great at the end of the season. Florida blew their doors off, and Florida was not good last year. And South, South Carolina, in a lot of its games, did not play good football. Um, I think everybody's putting a little bit too much stock in how they ended the season and not their overall talent on that roster. They also lost Jordan Birch, who's a really good and really good talented defensive lineman. I just don't think South Carolina is, gonna, is the second best team in the East. One last thing. We know Bryce Young and we know that uh, Will Levis, we know that Anthony Richardson are all going to be pretty darn high draft picks, all from the SEC. Would you take a flyer on Hendon Hooker in the first round? No. Um, I, I wonder about a couple things. First, blew out his ACL. Uh, what's, where's his rehab? And you, I'm, you know, My presumption is he'll be drafted for a team that doesn't need him to play in 2023. But he's also a 24-year-old. He'll be a 24-year-old rookie, which means he'll be a 25-year-old second-year guy, which is exceedingly old by NFL standards. And third, you know, read – there's, there's a lot of stuff written on Hooker. He's a great guy. He's persevered, and he was a great fit for what Josh Heupel wants on offense. No NFL offense is anything like Tennessee. Right. So he's going right. to have to learn basically a ton of new facets of, 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 of uh, offensive football. The Virginia Tech offense yeah. he played for was not very cutting edge. The hypo offense is cutting edge in a lot of different ways. The route trees, looking at one half of the field, forget the other half. There's a lot of different things he's going to have to um, do in the NFL. And yet he'll, he will be able to sit and learn for one year because of the ACL. But I would be, uh, I, I would not take in and hooker in the first round. Sure. Mike Huguenin, um with us. Thank you so much. As always, my friend, enjoy. Um, the NFL draft. We'll yeah. see how many uh, SEC schools get uh, players get drafted in the first round. Should be should be another big time uh, feather in the cap of the league where it just means more. Thanks, Mike. Take care, buddy. All right, talk to you next week. Thanks, man. You got it, Mike Huguenin. With us, we'll take a quick timeout. We'll come back. We'll wrap up our number one. Tell you who's coming up. Our number two next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, a flat-screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look marvelous. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, Kim Mulkey, doing her uh, post-championship duties, spoke at the Baton Rouge Rotary Club today, saying, quote, it's time to replace the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. She said, I can say that. I won a national championship. I think she's joking. Sort of. Sort of. So um, we'll see uh, what happens around there. Again, Trey Des Green, the number three tight end in the country, on the on three sports um, industry rankings, announced his college decision today. He has committed to LSU. He held a football scholarship offer from LSU. He had a basketball scholarship offer from LSU. So we'll see if um, he can do both. We shall see. Coming up, hour number two, LSU fresh off of a midweek loss to Nichols. How does that affect them in the national rankings? What does Aaron Fit from D1 Baseball think about the Tigers? And who are the other top teams in the country that he has seen to date? And then the NFL draft is tomorrow. Bob Rose of the Saints News Network, the Black and Gold Report. One more look deep inside the New Orleans Saints draft room. It's coming up next here on the Jordy Helpert Show. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hour number two of two, and away we go. Um, NBA playoffs resume tonight. LSU baseball coming off a tough loss to Nichols. The NFL draft is uh, one day away. One day away. So um, we focus our attention as we begin our number two. James Mesh in the master control suite inside the EFCO Development Studios. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. It's on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. Head west on I-10 to Lake Charles. You'll find KLCJ 1041. We're streaming around the world, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, you can turn your television set on and you can find us as we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Aaron Fitt is a, um, does a tremendous job covering college baseball for D1 baseball. Uh, he is kind enough to join us. Timing is everything, Aaron. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I am great. How are you doing? I'm terrific. Man, it was not a terrific night for SEC West teams last night. Uh, LSU loses to Nichols. Auburn loses to Troy. Texas A&M to Sam Houston. Arkansas loses to Missouri State. What 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 does that tell you about the state of college baseball? 
Well, you know, midweek games are always, I think, a little bit uh, uh, volatile, right? I mean, you know, it's just it's not the same as weekend series. You you don't have your your top guns going, and you know, you're right. I mean, a lot of times you expect the power conference teams to be better suited to play those games because they have more firepower and typically they have more depth. But uh, it's often just one game as opposed to three game series, which means I think upsets are just a little bit more likely, a little more random. Um, And so, yeah, and the other thing is. There's some good, you know, mid-major teams out there. I mean, Troy's yeah. on track to make a regional. Them, them beating Auburn is not some some big surprise. And, um, you know, Nichols is, is winning its league right now. It's not a great league. But uh, you don't expect them to go into Baton Rouge and take down LSU. But, you know, it's right. not like they're terrible. So, I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot of depth in, in college baseball right now. When you come up with your D1 baseball poll, um, you've got LSU ranked number one with 32-7, and seven, uh, now 32-8. and eight. Wake Forest, 34 and 6. How much do these midweek games factor into how you come up with your top 25 rankings? They don't have a huge impact, honestly. I mean, they're a piece of the puzzle, but they're a smaller piece. Yeah. We, we put much more emphasis on weekend series and, you know, high end. High-end series wins in particular. I mean, we're we're going to want to overlook a few of the, the bottom-end series on your resume. If you beat up some team that's 250 in the RPI, I don't really care. As long as you're taking business, care of business against the really good teams in your schedule, if you're winning uh, some, some marquee series, that's what really jumps out to me. So college baseball is all about the weekends, and those midweek games are nice. And sometimes if a team goes 2-2, two and two, um, but wins their weekend. Sometimes they'll move up. Sometimes they'll stay steady. Sometimes they'll go down, depending on the quality of those games, the quality of the competition. So there's, there's no easy answer. It's just kind of a, you know, like a lot of stuff in, in, in sports, it's more of an art than a science. Understood. Aaron fit with us. D1 baseball. The SEC had so many teams ranked in the top 25 in the preseason poll. Has the SEC lived up to the expectations to date? Well, it's it's uh, it's been certainly a little surprising in certain ways. I mean, we thought Ole Miss would be a lot better. That's probably the biggest surprise. Uh, the okay. fact that they're in their three and twelve in the league, I don't think any of us saw that coming. Um, but other other teams have emerged. I mean, Kentucky is, is way better than anyone thought. Um, uh-huh. You know, South Carolina. We were very high on. We had them in our preseason top twenty-five, but it turns out they might be the best team in the country. You know, they're even better than we thought they would be. Um, LSU has lived up to its billing. Vanderbilt. The same Arkansas, Florida. Those are all preseason top ten teams that have have kind of played that way all season long. Tennessee really scuffled for a good chunk chunk of the year, and now it seems like they're rebounding after that big sweep of Vanderbilt. I still think they're going to make a run with the caliber of their pitching talent, um, and, and you know maybe they'll wind up back in the top ten by the end of the season. Right now they're they're just back into the top twenty five. So I do think that the major separator between the SEC and every other conference. It's just the depth of the high-end contenders. I mean, uh, from okay. top to bottom, 1 to 14, I think the ACC is probably comparable uh, in the lower half to the SEC. But I don't think the ACC comes close to the SEC when it comes to Omaha and, and national title contenders. It kind of feels like it's Wake Forest and then everybody else in the ACC, whereas you've got five or six teams that I can see winning it all in the SEC. Aaron, we kind of see through certain colored shaded glasses um you're on the outside you look at everybody tell me what you see with lsu what um what what you like and what you have concerns about yeah well you know obviously what we like is the uh the star power is absurd i mean 
you're building a roster around two guys who are really generational talents. You know, Dylan Cruz, who uh, it might as well be Mike Trout in center field, and and you got Paul Skeens, who's basically Steven Strasburg 2.0. You know, on Friday nights. I mean, uh, it's insane to have two players of that caliber. And then, of course, Tommy White with with his his power and his star star power. I mean, it's it's enormous star. Um, you know, Trey Morgan. They, they got a lot of real impact players. Gavin Dugas. I mean, guys who've been around for a while and. Um, you know, uh, there's just a, a, the amount of sheer talent is, is kind of absurd. Um, now, there are concerns. I mean, obviously, the, the pitching injuries have really hurt them. Um, but, you know, I think I like what I've seen from Ty Floyd lately, especially behind schemes. It feels like maybe Christian Little is the answer they've been looking for on Sundays. He certainly has, again, all the talent in the world. It's just a matter of refining the command. has always been the, the, the thing for him to, to figure out. If he does, you know, he can be a really good Sunday guy. And, um, you'd love to have a healthier bullpen. Losing Garrett Edwards really hurt. Um, I thought he was their best guy, but, you know, I still like Gage Herring a lot back there. And, um, you know, the freshman Gavin Guidry is, is very talented. So there's still a lot of power arms, but I, I do think the, the bullpen feels like it can be gotten to. Um, and at times the defense isn't, you know, quite as, as airtight as it was early in the year. It feels like here and there it's been exposed a little bit. So I would say that the defense does not feel like a real strength that feels like maybe a little bit of a, uh, I mean, it's fine. It's good enough. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's not maybe elite. Like we maybe thought it was at the beginning of the year. Aaron fit D one baseball. We, we talk about the sec. You mentioned the ACC being a very good, uh, a very good conference. And then you see teams like coastal Carolina, Campbell, Connecticut, uh, a team like Boston college. You don't think of that much. Um, Dallas Baptist is there. Um, how, how, how wide open is this? You know, I always ask this in college basketball. Oh, there's a, you know, you get 68 teams in the tournament, but legitimately there's, you know, there's a, maybe a dozen teams that could win the whole thing. Um, what's the case in college baseball this season? How do you feel as we get closer toward uh, the selection and, and how many legit teams are there? Well, I do think you hit on a number of, of teams that we didn't see coming. I mean, I would say Boston College and Kentucky in particular are two that we didn't see coming. We had those teams picked at the bottom of their leagues, and I think everybody pretty much did. The coaches did. All the outlets, you know, nobody had Kentucky and, and BC at top 25 or top 15 teams at this point in the season. Uh, so that's been a great surprise. Some of the mid-major contenders I'm not really surprised by. You know, East Carolina, UConn, those teams were in Super Regional last year. Coastal Carolina obviously has pedigree, uh, having won a national title and, and been a very consistent program for a long time now. Um, you know, Campbell was has been knocking on the door in regionals the last few years. They gave Tennessee a heck of a run last year in Knoxville in the regional, and we know how good that Tennessee team was. So uh, there's a lot of real talent on that on that roster. I'll tell you, it, even after losing a couple of first rounders from last year. They've got a, a legit, you know, day one draft pick, I think, in, in their eighth Cade healer and a lot of power and speed in the lineup. I think they're still a threat. And Dallas Baptist is another team, like perennial contender, like East Carolina, yeah. like Coastal, yeah. one of those really, really good elite mid-major programs. Uh, they've got great pitching. So, yeah, I, I do think there's a lot of quality teams in that second tier. Now, those teams don't strike me as, as elite the way that, you know, the top of the SEC, those other teams we talked about, LSU, South Carolina, Florida, Vanderbilt, 
Arkansas. Like that 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 group plus Wake Forest for me, and maybe Stanford you can put there. That feels like the top tier of teams, the top tier of contenders. But we know all those teams aren't going to get to Omaha. Somebody else is going to break through and uh, and get hot at the right time. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out because it does feel like there's a lot of depth in that next tier. Aaron, for so many years, when it came to regional play, um, it was always kind of done by proximity. Oh, we don't want this team to have to travel far. So, in other words, um, uh, the the UL Raging Cajuns would come to Baton Rouge, or Tulane would come to Baton Rouge. Have we gotten to the point where college baseball says, "The heck with that. We're gonna, you know, I don't care where you come from. You're gonna you're gonna go wherever we tell you to go." And is that good for baseball? Mm. No, I don't think we're there yet, and I don't think we're necessarily headed in that direction because, honestly, it's okay. not just a matter of, of, of saving money, you know, as far as the travel yeah. costs. or uh, I mean, it's about creating a great, good experience for the fans and the, and the families of the players as well. I mean, you know, if, if okay. you got a bunch of people in, in, you know, Lafayette who can make a trip down to Baton Rouge, I mean, that, that makes it for a better environment, especially if you're talking about, like, a two-versus-three seed game where maybe, you know, you're not playing LSU – you can still fill that stadium pretty good if you got a bunch of Cajun fans coming in from an hour no down doubt. the road. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of reasons, I think it, it does make sense. And plus, I think it's just kind of a logical thing to get to Omaha. It's kind of cool to have to be one of the best teams in your region. You know, I mean, it's uh, uh, it, it's like in any other sport. Like, you got to win the AL East or the NL West. Uh, you're playing with other teams that are geographically near you. You know, I mean, it's, it's a little bit like uh-huh. uh, I just think that's kind of intuitive. Are the Raging Cajuns a tournament team? They're twenty-seven and fifteen, ten and eight in their conference. Do they have to win their conference tournament? How, how do you assess them? Well, we we liked their chances even a week ago. We had them kind of on our bubble, one of our first four or five teams out of our field of sixty-four. But it felt like they had a chance to make a move, uh, and then they went and, and got swept this weekend by yeah. JMU, uh, which was a pretty big setback. I like their chances. Yeah. Um, a whole lot less now, but you know they're they're still alive. I mean, it's a 70, uh, 74 RPI. You know they need to get that up. I mean, they really need to be in the forties. I think it's a Sun Belt team, so they got to find a way to climb thirty spots in the RPI and obviously improve their conference standings. They're ten and eight, which is fine. They're tied for third with three other teams. Four other teams. It's a big log jam in the middle there. Uh, right. Somebody needs to separate from the pack, and especially where they are in the RPI. That's crucial. They got to make make a big move in the standing. So they got a chance. They're they're alive, but I, I don't love their chances. Is Dylan Cruz the best college baseball player? Yes, no no question. And now he's not necessarily having the best years. The incredible thing. I mean, Ethan Petrie at South Carolina. If you look at his numbers, and he's a true freshman, but if you look at his numbers in conference play, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's just it's just insane what he's doing as a freshman. But that said. I mean, Dylan Cruz is a premium defender at a premium position, center field, um, who's hitting close to 500, you know, and w- with power and, yeah. and, and stealing bases and everything else that he does, more walks and strikeouts. And, and you know, he's just an incredible, incredible player. One, one of the, the greatest players, certainly, in the, in the two decades I've been doing this. I mean, he, he's wow. up there with anybody, Buster Posey, whoever, and name a guy. I mean, he's, he's on the list. Does LSU, like I said something about, you know, Alabama might in football have the number one and number two picks of players taken with Bryce Young and Will Anderson. They might. Could LSU hold the same in the in the MLB draft with Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens? 
Yeah, right now I think it would be, frankly, a surprise if it's not those two guys. I mean, they're just so much better than everybody else. <laughs> it's, it's it's nuts. And we've had teams before, I think UCLA in 2013 or 2012. 2012, uh, you had Garrett Cole go number one. You had Trevor Bauer go number three. And that's the closest we've had to having yeah. one, and, one and two. And this year, if I, I were a betting man, I'd certainly go bet on that. Because I think it's very, very likely who's in Inskeens go one and two in, in some order. Wow. Um, amazing. Uh, Aaron, I can't, I know you're a very busy man. I cannot thank you enough for stopping by and sharing that. Your knowledge is unbelievable. It's unmatched. Uh, and thank you for informing and uh, uh, us and uh, entertaining us. We enjoyed it tremendously. I can't thank you enough. My pleasure, guys. Good talking to you. Take care. Aaron Fit with D1 Baseball. Rattling that stuff off. Names, numbers, positions. Uh, that amazes me. He is top shelves. Uh, speaking of top shelf, the black and gold report, Saints News Network, Bob Rose on the eve of the 2023 NFL draft in Kansas City. We'll get his latest thoughts next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, speaking of the Houston Astros, at the Tampa Bay Rays will be on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. First pitch is set for 5.40 p.m. And did you know that the game has a new brand new app it is now your one-stop shop for all things the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station it's time for jordy to march into some new orleans saints talk with saints news network's bob rose here is the black and gold report with Bob Rose here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, we usually do it on a Tuesday, but because of technical difficulties yesterday, we were fortunate enough to get Bob Rose to agree to join us on a Wednesday. Robert, good afternoon, sir. Jordy, good afternoon. And I, this time of year, I have no idea what day, what day of the week it is anyway. So you could tell me every day is Tuesday. I believe you. <laughs> One day away from the NFL draft. How are you feeling? Uh, fatigued, but excited. Uh, you know, I, I can honestly say I have no idea what direction that this draft is going to go, not only for the New Orleans Saints, uh, but in general. Uh, but it's it's always a fun day being a, a member of the media, uh, you know, covering an NFL team on on draft day, uh, you know, all the different directions that could go, all the new players coming into the organization, fan excitement, uh, you know, et, et cetera. It, it should be a very interesting and action packed three days. Yeah, everybody's like, well, when's it going to come to New Orleans? When you know, they got the draft in Kansas City, when's it going to come to New Orleans? Well, I mean, you got Jazz Fest starting. I mean. You got the Zurich Classic. You got so many things happening at this time of the, you know, April's a huge, huge month. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you do it, but I sure it sure would be a lot of fun there for sure. Do you see a a frenzy draft? Uh, there's there's talk about Houston not taking a quarterback there. You know, Arizona doesn't need one. Are there teams, do you think teams looking to leapfrog, trade into those spots that need a quarterback? Do you, do you see 
so many times, oh, it's going to be a trade-heavy draft, and it ends up being nothing. How do you foresee this this first round tomorrow night? You know, I don't see a lot of trades, uh, but the ones that do in the first, we'll, call, we'll say the first 20 picks, uh, like you talked about. Uh, but I see the trades being made as uh, as very significant uh, you know, and, and power-packed. Uh, we've already seen Aaron Rodgers on the move. That was a yeah. That was something that we all expected just before the draft. Uh, but yeah, there are so many teams with two first-round picks uh, in the first 25 selections, uh, and a handful of teams outside of the first round uh, that could possibly be looking to get back in. Uh, it's those kind of squads uh, that I look to make the biggest moves. Uh, yeah, and I'm not going to say that I expect this this draft to be tra- action-packed as far as trades go in the first round, uh, but the 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 ones that we do see, I have a feeling, are going to be the type of deals. Uh, that cause a lot of people to say, wow, that came out of nowhere, or this team came out of nowhere, or they made a move to draft this guy. Uh, it's going to be those kind of moves. There have been thousands upon thousands of mock drafts posted over the past two months. Thousands upon thousands. You know who I value? And this is no no slight on anything from you, the Saints News Network, or anybody else. God bless all of you for doing it. Um, I always follow what Vegas says. I don't know why, but they seem to know more things than anybody. And based upon uh, Vegas, Bryce Young will be the number one player picked. The second pick is a defensive end from Texas Tech and Tyree Wilson. Um, and, and And then the Arizona Cardinals don't need a quarterback, so they're going for Will Anderson from Alabama. That's what Vegas says. And then you get a run on quarterbacks. And they have the second quarterback going is Will Levis of Kentucky. Why do you think Will Levis's stock has gone up while C.J. Stroud's stock seems to have gone down? The only way I can explain that is the, you know, the recent release of the cognitive tests uh, performed by all the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud performed very, very poorly. Uh, you know, in, in the you know reading defense, breaking down defenses aspect of the test, uh, while Lil, Will Levis scored on the higher side, uh, you know, and there's a lot of a lot of media members put a lot of stock into that. I personally don't. I prefer to watch the film to see if the guy can actually play. Uh, but you know, uh, Levis, as you know, and as you pointed out, he's been all over the board anyway. Uh, you know, there's been some smoke about him being the number one overall pick. I never thought that was going to happen. Uh, you know, to being. Uh, to, to dropping all the way to the back part of the first round where teams jockey to trade uh, trade to get him. So, you know, Will Levis is definitely a name that's going to have a lot of people on the edge of their seats tomorrow evening. Uh, but you know, don't don't sleep on C.J. Stroud. And another reason why I think the, the flip-flop in, in Levis and Stroud, there haven't been very many Ohio State quarterbacks to put together a successful NFL career. And that kind yeah. of stigma from schools at different yeah. positions, it's a very, very, very real thing uh you yeah. know i think cj is skilled enough to overcome that uh but uh we'll we'll see if that causes his stock to drop in the draft i always wonder uh bob rose saints news network um you know how they say a good coach is a coach that can beat you with his team and he can go and beat his team with your team i wonder how will levis would have looked in an ohio state uniform with all those skilled position people all those, all that NFL talent with a defense like Ohio State had, 
as compared to what he was offered at Kentucky where he's running for his life. He gets hit, he gets up again. He throws it. He gets hit, he gets up again. Never complains, just keeps playing. I wonder how that equates. Because I think Will Leff is going to be a heck of an NFL player because I think they're going to surround him with better players. I think he's tough. I think he's got that NFL build. Um, I just I like the guy. I think he's going to be good. I wonder, and if you put C.J. Stroud in a Kentucky uniform, how good would he look? Uh, yeah, and that's the million-dollar question, you know, literally, when it comes to the NFL draft. Uh, you know, in, in that Kentucky system, would C.J. Stroud become a guy that we've never heard of uh, or become a, a, a day-three pick? Uh, and you know, Will Levis, maybe he becomes a Heisman Trophy candidate with all those weapons that are constantly coming through Ohio State. Uh, you know, we'll see, because they are both going to be first-round picks. Uh, you know, but also, as you know, uh, particularly with the quarterback position, it all depends on where what system you go to if you go to a very dysfunctional team and you're yeah. you're, you're a so-so prospect or you have holes in your game you you don't stand a chance uh yeah and it, you, the the system that these guys are getting drafted into uh needs to be paid as close attention to as the actual skills that they have bringing into the nfl boy every quarterback ought to be able to sit back for one year and learn and listen yeah. and watch and and get nfl smart that's why a guy like uh, Anthony Richardson, God, if he goes to Houston at number two, he, they're going to throw him to the Wolves. He yeah. could ruin his career. Yeah, it absolutely could. Uh, yeah, and Anthony Richardson, I've said many, many times on record, uh, I believe that he should have stayed in school. He is just too raw uh, to be thrown to the wolves, as you pointed out, uh, you know, with any NFL club, uh, but especially you know the Houston Texans, along with you know, most most of those other teams drafted in the top five. They're drafting in the top five for a reason. Because they're a bad team, Man, uh, yeah, right. and Anthony Richardson is not nearly polished enough, uh, you know, to save an NFL franchise. Uh, you know, does he have the mental toughness to stick that out while he develops? I mean, only time will tell. But that's just one more reason to worry about Anthony Richardson as an NFL prospect. Got to ask you, um, Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. It's official. Who won that trade? I mean, the Jets got their got their quarterback. They're all in for this season. Who knows if they're going to get another season? Time will tell on that. Uh, the Packers get some draft picks uh, along the way. They don't have to pay all that money to Aaron Rodgers. But uh, I think both teams won. But but who won by more? Uh, that's tough. Uh, and obviously, you won't know until the you know, the draft picks that the Jets got played out. And, you know, we see how Rodgers performs in New York. Uh, but on paper, you have to say that the New York Jets have won this trade. Uh, you know, Jordan Love, the jury is still out on whether he can be a quality NFL starter. Uh, you know, meanwhile, a lot of people believe that the New York Jets were just a quarterback away uh, you know, from being a legitimate AFC contender. Uh, you know, I believe I don't believe that to be the case. Uh, but if Rodgers himself could still play, and man, he looked bad last year. Uh, yeah, but if he can revitalize his career and he still has some left in the tank, uh, you've got to believe that the Jets have, especially with that terrific defense, uh, you know, the Jets have the pieces in place uh, you know, for at least a playoff run. Uh, you know, and anything short of that in New York has got to be a colossal disappointment when you bring in a guy with a marquee name value uh, like, Aaron, uh, like an Aaron Rodgers. You're saying, Jordy, you haven't asked Bob one thing about the New Orleans Saints and their draft. Well, guess what? That's coming up next after this timeout. The Black and Gold Report. Stay with us.
This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show presented by Mr. Bill's Seafood Express, Southwest Beverage Company, line of bed out of Westlake and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Tune in tonight starting at 6 as host Jim Gazzola will be talking all things cowboy related. You can hear it all right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Jordy Holtenberg is known far and wide as the Blonde Bomber. For the perfectly feathered golden mane he rocked back in the day at LSU. Just let your soul the hair may not be as golden or as long, but Jordy is still making a name for himself. Back to more of the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. With Saints News Network's finest, Mr. Bob Rose. Bob, before we get to the Saints and their, their look into their draft room and their war room and all that, Houston sits at number two. There's a quarterback out there that still hasn't been signed by their team. The, the, the Houston Texans have two first-round picks. Would you dare package those two picks and go to the Baltimore Ravens and say, hey, hey, tell you what we'll do. We'll give you our number two pick, and I think it's number 12. Or I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly what it is. You give us Lamar Jackson, and we'll be all fine and hunky-dory. Would you do that? Uh, you know, I – I wouldn't be surprised if they made some calls, uh, but I can't. I can't see two first if Lamar Jackson gets traded. And I don't think he will. I can't see it being for two first round picks. Uh, but Houston is definitely in a position uh, you know, of strength uh, that you know, that that if you told me that they were dangling at least that number two pick for Lamar Jackson, wouldn't surprise me one bit because uh, okay. this draft is deep enough. Say you get Lamar for a number two uh, you know, and you know, may, uh, maybe a second-round pick this year or next year, you still have that number 12 uh, you know, to help build a team around Lamar. You have that fast track uh, you know, it, it, uh, in Houston's home stadium. Yeah, it'd be a nice fit, but, again, I can't, see, I can't see Lamar leaving Baltimore. The Saints have pick number 29, pick number 40, pick number 71. Do you think they stand pat on all of those? Or do you think they put something together and move up? Or uh, that's been their that's been their mantra from years to year after year after year. Do they do they stand pat or do you see them doing something? It's the New Orleans Saints, Jordy. They're not going to stand pat, not with Mickey, not as long as Mickey Loomis is still the general manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these years, we blamed it on Sean Payton. Uh, you know, Sean Lee's. They're still wheeling and dealing with Mickey uh, at the at the GM spot. They're gonna they're gonna have some movement. I don't know if it'll be in the first round, uh, but okay. it will definitely be within the first two days. Uh, and rarely, and by rarely, I mean never, uh, do we see the Saints trade back in the first round. Uh, yeah. So if there's any movement with that first pick it's going to be up with a specific player not a position a specific player in mind to go get they keep talking about these um these test results that they they value so highly um and and i would imagine that's part of uh of the scenario that would make them Mm -hmm. move into a place that that kind of what fits their culture so to speak correct 
Yes, absolutely. It's called the relative athletic score. Uh, and we don't have enough time left in this segment for me to explain what that all means. Uh, but you know, it, it's something that the New Orleans Saints, as well as several other NFL teams, value very highly. Uh, it's the reason why Peyton Turner went from a projected third round pick to a first round pick a few years back. It's the reason why they selected David Onyemata when he wasn't even on the radar of most NFL teams uh, you know, for a seven round draft, let alone in the Fourth, where they got him, uh, you know. So there, you know, it, it, just like anything else, there's pros and cons to having this, you know, a, a kind of an analytical approach. Uh, but it's approach, it, it's an approach that they believe very strongly in. Uh, and you know, simply put, none of their draft picks are going to have low, uh, low RAS scores this year. I think the Saints have already had a great draft. They're they're much better, yes. I believe, at the quarterback position. Uh, they're better at the wide receiver position if. And it's a big, it's a Kawhi Leonard if, if Michael Thomas can stay healthy. So, so far, so good. In your last, as you, as you wind this thing all down and you've studied and you analyzed and you looked at film, you looked at tape, you understand the Saints um, theories heading into the draft. Um, at 29, do you still have the defensive tackle for Michigan? I do. Uh, my first mock that I did a month ago, I drafted, I, I selected Isaiah Foskey, the defensive end from Notre Dame. This one, I stuck with Michigan, uh, 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 the maize and blue, and I went with Mozzie Smith uh, at number 29. Inside run stuffer? Yes. Can, can, can get, put some pressure on the quarterback as well? Yes, absolutely. And that's why I have my eye on him. He would shore up that run defense in a big, big way. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, you know, he is a run stuffer, a hole plugger, extremely athletic for a man of you know, 320 plus, uh, you know, with good upside as a pass rusher. Uh, you know, that's why I value him over some of the other defensive tackles, uh, you know, that could be within that range at 29. Uh, but yeah, I don't think there's, there's no doubt in my mind that the Saints are going to address defensive line with one of those first two round picks who would be a who would be a player that you think would fit all the measurables of the saints enough for them to realistically trade up maybe it's maybe it's up three spots maybe it's as high as moving up to nine spots is there a certain player that you think think fits all the measurables at, at a position of need as well that the saints might look to trade up to get Keep an eye on defensive end Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. Okay. Uh, you know, Van Ness, I, I have seen Van Ness uh, you know, in some mock drafts go in the top 12. Uh, you know, I've seen others where he's dropped into the low 20s. If he's in that kind of range, uh, you know, that's the type of player that the, the, the fit, that checks off all the New Orleans Saints stereotype boxes. Big and athletic, big and lengthy, but athletic for a defensive end. Uh, you know, productive pass rusher, good run defender, extremely high football IQ, good work ethic uh you know three plus years of college uh yeah. you know the, the the saints rarely touch someone that has two years or less of uh you know of college ball play uh yeah he just he checks off all those boxes if the saints trade up keep an eye on that prospect right there you know he's got to be good because iowa has the worst offense in college football but <laughs> yeah. they win games because they win it with defense so that's awesome so let's say they get a defensive lineman with the first pick um at number 40 do you 
if the best player available is another defensive lineman, do you do that or do they go for a, a different position? I, I mean, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum. Yeah, they'd love to get a wide receiver, love to get a running back, um, love to get – you can't have enough cornerbacks in this game. You yeah. can't. Uh, offensive linemen, you can't get enough of those as well. How do you see this draft panning out? What kind of mix and ratio do they have from position groups? Well, as you pointed out, it all depends on the draft board. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Saints doubled down on defensive linemen in the you know, in the first and second round. Uh, you know, in my mock draft, I had them drafting the defensive end from Kansas State, uh, you know, you know, Felix Uzoma, uh, okay. you know, who's a real athletic. Uh, you know, edge rusher kind of guy who plays the run well, a little bit lighter on the lighter side, but plays the run extremely well. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Saints did go big wide receiver, big athletic wide receiver. Uh, you know, Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, A.T. Perry from Wake Forest. Those are two strong possibilities. You mentioned cornerback, and that's a little nugget that Mickey Loomis dropped in his presser earlier today, is that there are a lot of cornerbacks in this draft that the Saints dearly love. A lot of people are overlooking this position for New Orleans because they do. They are so talented here. But where they were lacking last year, especially when Marshawn Lattimore was out with his abdomen injury, uh, was slot coverage. Uh, you know, so if they can get a guy that can play you know, inside or uh, yeah, inside out, outside uh pretty equally that shores up a a, a critical spot uh you know against teams with that are going to uh, attack new orleans with a deeper receiving court not only do i think the saints um as we've talked before need someone who can affect the quarterback i still believe they need some kind of a home run hitter on offense i know Alavi's good um and, and rashid shaheed okay but man give me that guy that puts a fear in everybody I, I, so um, I, I'm all about that. People, players that can impact the game in a hurry. You can't get enough of those. No, you can't. Uh, and we've seen the New Orleans Saints uh, you know, offense struggle the last couple of years because of the lack of playmakers. Yeah. A lot of it pointed to you know, the wide receiver position in particular. Uh, you know, while a lot of that is true, uh, you know, if you can get a home run hitter out of the backfield uh, you're, or even a guy that defenses are going to respect between the tackles so you can use that guy, Camara, who's a pretty good pass catcher out of the backfield, yeah. you know, just someone that can make defenses – Think about an additional threat, uh, you know, whether that's a speed is a, a world class speedster at wideout, uh, you know, whether it's another bigger playmaker to free up things for Olave and Shahid down the mm -hmm. field or between the tackles runner, which I wouldn't be surprised at, uh, you know, in rounds two or three. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. The Saints have got to come out of this draft with at least one of those spots checked off. I hope Pete Carmichael looks back at the tape and figures out, man, we didn't utilize Alvin Kamara well at all. It was awful. Is there in round three at number seven, is there a tight end available that the Saints can use that's an impactful player? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, the only way there wouldn't be is if there, there was a run on tight ends through the latter half of the first round and through the second uh, but this is a position that I think is especially deep, uh, you know, that not enough people are talking about. I realize everybody's talking about Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer, uh, you know, at the top of the tight end class, potential first round picks. Uh, a lot of people are talking about that monster out of Georgia, Darnell Washington. Uh, but you, you look from a pass catcher standpoint, Sam Laporta. 
out of uh, out of Iowa, who's sharing around some pretty darn good NFL tight ends. He's going to be a late day two, early day three pick. Uh, you know, Luke Musgrave, every bit as skilled as Dalton Kincaid as a pass receiver, just a little bit of it, you know, a little bit of injury concern. Uh, Will Mallory out of Miami. Uh, Miami, Florida, who's also turned out some pretty nice uh, NFL tight ends. That's a day three prospect to watch. Uh, you know that, you know, and we know New Orleans doesn't mind overdrafting a guy, uh, you know, yeah. a round or two earlier than projection. Uh, you know, if they like what he could bring to their team. Okay, last few minutes here. Let's go. Let's go back to the top. Uh, Carolina, you believe they take Bryce Young, like everybody's saying? I do. I do. I would be surprised if they didn't. Houston. I think there's a lot of smoke screen there. I think Houston comes out of this with a quarterback at number two. Uh, you know, flip a coin though, whether it's Stroud or or Levis. Uh, but I think one of those two guys come off the board there. Arizona, they don't need a quarterback, right? But they need something. They do need something, anything in Arizona. Uh, but I think you know, with the retirement of uh, you know, JJ Watt, the loss of Zach Allen and free agency, uh, I think you'll see your first edge rusher come off the board here. Uh, okay. you know, it may be Will Anderson, possibly Tyree from Texas Tech, one of those guys. All right. Indianapolis is at number four. We know they need a quarterback. Well, I guess it all depends on who goes ahead of them. Or does Indianapolis move ahead of Arizona to be sure they get a quarterback that they want? I don't know. Uh, if Indianapolis thinks that Arizona might trade that three pick away f- to a team that is going to grab a quarterback, then you'll mm-hmm. see a small deal made here. Uh, you know, Indy's not going to be able to move up to number two because that's a division rival that they're dealing with. Uh, you know, regardless whether it's at four or they trade up to three, Indianapolis is going to grab a quarterback. Forget Anthony Richardson; they need a guy that can play now. So, you know, whichever one is still on. If I'm right and Levis or uh, you know, Levis or Stroud go at two, Indianapolis is going to grab what's left. Um, after that, you got Seattle, uh, they've got Geno Smith. A lot of people are saying that'd be the perfect spot for Anthony Richardson from Florida, the quarterback, but Seattle needs other help as well. I mean, do they draft quarterback for the future that early? Uh, no, I don't think they do. Uh, you know, unless unless CJ Stroud, who I've heard they love, uh, unless Stroud is available, then you'll see an upset pick here. Otherwise, I agree with you. I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle takes a quarterback, but it, if so, it wouldn't be until later with their second first-round pick if one of those guys drop. I think the Seahawks go defense here. This is where you might see one of those uh, cornerbacks come off of the board uh, uh, or perhaps uh, you know, uh, you know, one, one of the edge rushers. Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be edge rusher or corner for Seattle in that spot. See, I'm always about – getting the fans behind you. Okay. I'm always about that. And the saints had a, had a dismal year last year and there's, and the Pelicans had a, had a horrific close to their season injuries and all that stuff. Fan base is starting to teeter a little bit. So if I'm the saints, I figure out a way to move up in the first round and, and make a splash move. I'm all about the fans. I'm all about season ticket sales. I'm all about the excitement, Bob Rose. Don't stand pat at 29. I know I'm I'm spending Monopoly money. I understand that. But I'm all about the fans. Move on up and let's make an impact early. That's what I say, Bob Rose. Well, look, Jordy, I think it's going to happen. I mean, Mickey Loomis is one of the most aggressive general managers out there. Uh, and you joked about Monopoly money. He plays with it in free agency. Why the heck wouldn't he play with it in the draft, too? Uh, right. I do expect the Saints to move up. Uh, you know, and... Uh, and uh, 
I think it's going to surprise some people at how far they do move up. It wouldn't shock me if this team moved up even into the uh, into the early teens. Nice. Uh, you know, we, we, we know do it. that they, yeah, we know that they're aggressive enough to do it if there's a prospect on the board that they like. Again, we know yeah, we know they're not going to trade back. Uh, you know, so uh, expect to see some serious aggression out of the Saints, both in the first round and throughout day two. Get me three impactful players. I don't care about the seventh round pick. I don't care about one of the fifth rounders. Let's package some deals. Get me three impactful players. Let's get Derek Carr going. Michael Thomas healthy. Boom. Saints win the NFC South. Bob Rose, we're done. Thank you. Enjoy the draft. We'll talk all about it next week, my friend. My pleasure. Enjoy the festivities yourself. Don't forget to check out our live draft broadcast through the Bayou Blitz. Awesome. Awesome. I will do that. Bob Rose, Saints News Network. Back to wrap it all up next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Special thanks to our partners, ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets, Ducks, Eon of Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville, Louisiana Lottery, DC's Little Capital Exxon, Cajun Chef, and more. We'll be back. Here's three pieces of advice to live by. Never play cards with a guy whose last name is a state. Don't spit into the wind. And always listen to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, a quick get out of here. Um, special thanks to our guest today, Matthew Bruni on LSU football, Michael Huguenin on college football, Aaron Fitt, college baseball, Bob Rose on the Saints and the NFL draft. If today, April 26th, is your birthday, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. You share yours with All Rise, the home run king from a year ago. Aaron Judge is 31 years old today. One of the few guys I would pay to go see play. He's that good. Um, James Mesh, thank you, sir. Thanks to all of you for listening in in whatever form or fashion that you did. Thank you to our partners. Come on back tomorrow, same time, 2 to 4. Same great stations, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Until next time, I'm Jordy Helpert. Stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you can to stay healthy. Come on, man. Be kind to one another and be happy. Life is absolutely too short. Coming up next, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. So long, everybody.